Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. How are you today? Great. I'm going to drink a sip of water here. Feel free to do that too if you need to. Glad you're here today. We are, uh, we are just a few weeks from, from Easter, and I hope you will <clears throat> consider taking advantage of uh, the resources that our communication team has uh, put together and provided. Um, am I ringing to y'all, or is it just my ears? A little, a little ring, I'm in a well. Spring up, oh well. Um, anyway, I'm okay. There we go. I feel, less, I, I feel like I've climbed out. Thank you. Brandon, for helping me out of that well. I appreciate it. Hey, we're going to be in Ephesians 4 today. So if you want to start tracking there, feel, feel free to do that. I hope you will. We're in a series uh, that I've entitled um, Matters of the Heart. I think I told you last week if I had it to do all over again, I would probably entitle this Renovation of the Soul uh, because that's really what we're looking at. We're looking at uh, the whole soul. And we talked in detail uh, and went throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, looking at the component parts of our souls and said that, uh, you know, our body, our mind, our heart, our spirit, all of those play a role in that and that God has designed our souls to be everlasting and the purpose of uh, our souls in this life is to help integrate all the component parts and that God is working. We, we looked last week at uh, especially directly at Psalm 23, and we saw that uh, when the Lord is our shepherd, when we're letting the Lord shepherd us along, part of the work He is doing is He is restoring our souls. God is at work doing that. And part of the restoration of our souls is the restoration of, of our minds. And so I want us to kind of turn our attention to, to that aspect. This week I read a story that I want to share with you. Um, it's uh, kind of about our minds. It'll lead us to think about this anyway, I think. Uh, it's about a couple that had been married for a little over 50 years, and they had all sorts of highs and lows. Uh, they had weathered lots of storms, and the, recently the husband had uh, a pretty severe stroke. He was unconscious for several days, um, and when he came to, he slowly began to... Uh, regain his ability to speak, and uh, when he was able to do that, he uh, spoke some things to his wife, some things that he had thought about, and uh, decided he needed to say to her. And he said, he, he said this, he said, when, when I came to, the first face I saw was, was you, and that means so much to me. Uh, he said, you know, and, and here you are again today. He said, I don't know why it's taken me so long to have had this revelation, but as I came out of my sleep and I saw you, I realized that I've been missing something for over 50 years. And he said, do you remember back when we were first married uh, and I had that crazy car accident? I was unconscious for a day or two. Uh, and when I woke up in the hospital, you were there. You were the first person that I saw. And all sorts of other situations throughout our life, you, you were there. You know, I wake up in the morning and, and, and you're there. And I was thinking about how about a decade ago, 10 years ago, I had that heart attack. Uh, and the doctors had to put me in an induced coma so that my heart would have a chance to heal. And, and when they brought me out of it, opened my eyes, the first person I saw w w was you. And now, here we are again at, at, at this time. And he, he took his wife's hands tenderly and, and held her hands and looked deep into her eyes. Uh, and he, he said this. 
He said, here's what I've realized, honey, you're bad luck. I love, I, love, I got an expression over here. <laughs> Here's the truth about all of us. Sometimes we can have access to the very best data and still reach the wrong conclusions. Because we don't know perfectly here on this earth. And so it's easy for us with the data we have, even though it may be great data, to come to the wrong conclusions because our minds are in need of restoration. All of us. All of us need all of our souls restored, and part of that work is to restore our minds. And God, as the shepherd of our souls, is at work restoring. He's at work bringing about newness of life in every aspect of our being, and our responsibility is to partner with him. We, have, we, we get to play a, a role in that because the truth is every component of our souls, every aspect of our being has been corrupted by sin, by our culture, by the world in, in which we live, and, and that needs to be restored. And, and that's why, you know, you can tell this. In, in our world, it, it's just so visible even how, how goofy this has gotten. In our world, uh, people talk about you can have your truth and I can have my truth. And those truths, when you spell them out, are so totally opposite of one another. And yet they both want to call them truth, which is the exact opposite of what truth is. Both can't be right. Both can't be truth or it's not, it, it's not truth. And we just live in a world where those kinds of things are confused and confounded because our minds have been corrupted and we need restoration. And the word of God points us to this as he's renovating our ruined souls. Part of that is renovating our ruined thinking. We, we sometimes call it stinking thinking around here. And so today's message is not going to be so much a three-step or four-step process to get us, you know, our minds completely healed. Uh, today's message is really about laying out and putting on display the vision that God has for us that draws us to desire soul restoration, that draws us to desire that our minds be restored. And so I want you to look with me. That's what we're looking for is this great gospel vision in Jesus that God has put on display through what we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, the first thing that we're going to see, and I want to go ahead and bring this point up, is this, is that there is a powerful uh, God's Word tells us, we're going to see it in a moment, there is a powerful barrier to this renovation. A powerful barrier to this. It's found in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. Look at it with me if you would. Paul writes these words to the church at Ephesus. He says, now I say and testify in the Lord. So Paul's wanting you to understand real clearly that this is me and, me and God have had this conversation and he is, he is testifying uh, in, in this too. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. What Paul is saying here is, 
You're walking in the futility of your minds, just like the heathen do, just like the unregenerated do, just like the, the, the Gentiles do. And so this is what we're going to explore today. What, what does it look like? What, what is God's vision that moves us from walking in the futility uh, of our minds? Because when we came to Christ, we brought that futile thinking into our relationship with Jesus. He wants to restore that. We, we came to Jesus and we had the penalty of sin forgiven, wiped out through what he did on, on his cross that day. But our capacity to sin, our ability to sin is still with us. And God's wanting to bring this sanctifying work in our lives. He's wanting to move us from where we're at. And so that's part of this spiritual journey is to grow in the knowledge of Jesus and his beautiful vision for what our everlasting life is supposed to look like. But we got some missing pieces. And so he's at work bringing us along. And those missing pieces are kind of centered in patterns that exist in our world. And they show up through relationships, they throw, show up through every decision we've ever made, through every person that we've, we've ever met. All of these contribute to what has become our story in, in God's story, but it also points to some realities about, about our own lives, about ourselves. And it points out sometimes that our, our story does not always directly point to reality. That are, because our minds are corrupted, we're not walking in God's reality. And we, we, our, our thinker is broken and we need some fixing at that. And even though there's a great barrier to this renovation, there's also an even more powerful solution to this renovation found in God's Word, found in this passage that we're going to look at. I want to jump ahead, if you would. Look with me um, at, at verse 23. Verse 23 of Ephesians chapter 4. And we read this. Paul says, be and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So Paul is, is writing and he's saying, okay, here's this great barrier. We've got this great barrier, but there's also this powerful solution. And it's God's plan to renew our minds through his spirit. Now, if Paul had been writing in our generation, he might have used, instead of using that word renew, he probably would have chosen the word reprogram. We, we didn't have computers to reprogram back then, but probably today he would talk about this reprogramming because this is the idea present here. And here's leads us kind of to the big idea for today, which is this. If we want to live a whole new way of life, if we want a different kind of life, if we want a kingdom kind of life, we've got to have a whole new way of thinking. We, we've just got to do that. And this is what Paul is going after here in Ephesians chapter 4, and this is what we're going to get after today. And, and what I want you to do is think of these things as good and right and, and helpful that God is giving to us today. And look back again at Ephesians four seventeen. Paul says, we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, one of the things that I would encourage you to do if you don't already have this practice is as you're studying God's Word, as you're reading through it, soaping through it, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is personalize it. Think, think about how do I bring it into my moment today? How do I, how do I, how do I embrace it? How do I uh, kind of apply it? And one of the ways that I think we could apply it is recognizing that we live in a culture. 
And that chapter 4, so much of what we're going to read in chapter 4 applies you know, to the American culture. Not just to the Gentile Ephesian culture, but to the American culture. Because so much of our culture lives in the futility of our thinking. The futility of our minds. I mean, you, you don't have to watch the news, but for about five seconds to see that just unfolding in incredible ways. Now, though Paul was writing this to the church at Ephesus, they were, uh, they, they, they were citizens of Ephesus, but not really. Because God had said that they were citizens in heaven. That's where their primary citizenship became when they came to Christ. They, they became citizens of heaven. They became members of God's church in the, in the kingdom of God. And so if I wanted to personalize kind of Ephesians 4.17, I might would read it this way. It's going to come up on your screen. You must no longer walk as the Americans do in the futility of their minds. Friends, we've, we've got to be mindful of this. We've got to not walk in the futility of our American culture because our true citizenship is in Christ. Our true citizenship is in the kingdom of God. We're a part of the family of God, his church. And we are, we're on mission with Jesus. He gave us our mission. And I fear that part of the futility of the American mindset has come into the church and distracted us from our primary purpose on this planet. And it's caused us as God's people to become futile in our thinking. And here's what I believe it is. It is the commingling of Jesus and the church with American politics. We have commingled that so deeply that we don't know up from down, right from wrong in the church in America these days. Now, please hear me say something. I consider myself to be pretty, pretty significantly patriotic. I hear Lee Greenwood saying, I'm proud to be American. I still get goosebumps, baby. I do. I am grateful to God and regularly thank him that he privileged me to be born in, in this country, that, that, that he allowed that. But I do believe with all of my heart that the church has lost its way in America because of our, our co-mingling being so deeply embroiled in American politics. Now, hear me, I believe, I believe the motivation was good that we were seeking to bring righteousness to, to our, our, our nation. But friends, this is dangerous. And here I'll show you how dangerous it is. Right now, the Orthodox Church in Russia has supported the moves of Putin. It is so easy for the church when we get embedded into nationalism for the mission of our Savior to sec take second seat. And what happens is it causes us to lose our first love and leave our first love. And when that happens, we end up devastated in the futility of our own minds. And Jesus' church in the United States needs to repent. We need to find our way back to our first love because it's only going to be there 
that we will find the redemption and the renovation of our souls in this part of our everlasting life, this part that we're still living out on earth, it's only going to be found in Jesus. It's not going to be found in politics. It's not going to be found who, by who sits in the White House or the governor's mansion or anything. It's only going to be found in Jesus. And as God's people, we've got to draw back into that. But see, we, we, try, to, we try to somehow co-mingle Jesus' call to, you know, follow him, deny yourself, take up your cross. We try to co-mingle that somehow with the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. We try to make those two things flesh themselves out. And friends, there are going to be times they're going to actually be in tension and butt heads. And we've got to decide, are we going to go with Jesus' plan? Or are we going to go with this, this other point? Now, you can choose what you're going to pursue. You get to choose. I get to choose. But friends, here, let me tell you what you were created to pursue. Life with God. You were created to pursue life with God. Only, only God's going to completely fill you with, with everything you need. And this is part of what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus. You can't pursue life in the culture and life in Christ, and it not corrupt your mind, and you not continue to live in the futility of your thinking. And so Paul shines a bright light on those two words in verse 17, on futility. That, that first word, this adjective that he uses, that, that really futility has to do with emptiness and ineffectiveness or instability or purposelessness. It's the adjective he chooses to use about that kind of thinking. That kind of thinking that kind of runs off the tracks. And the, the second word, obviously, that he's focusing on is our thinking. And what this has to do with is our, our intellect, our capacity to reflect, our, our, our ability to reason things out and to discern and see, see what's true. And he says that we bring a distorted capacity for that into our life with Christ. That we bring a broken way of thinking. God wants to restore that, but we have to cooperate with the Spirit. And so I want us to dive into the next verses. And I did not put verse 18 in the slides. I'm sorry for that. You can look at it, um, if you would, with me. I'm going to read it slowly so you can hear this. But this is, this is what happens, the, the result, if you would, of what happens to somebody who stays stuck in this futile thinking. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. They became darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. And Paul is saying for those who are, are separated from Christ, that are apart from Christ, th that's their only recourse. They don't really have another resource for living differently than that, but we do. When we came to Christ, when Kenny, Kenny was baptized today displaying that there was this moment in time where he trusted Christ and the Holy Spirit came to indwell him. And the Holy Spirit began his work of permeating all of Kenny's soul. And that's true for anyone who's come to Christ. The Spirit wants to work in us. And part of this work is to fix, if you would, our minds that have been corrupted in our futility. It's the Spirit of the living God in us. And so Paul... He, he begins to put on display where futile thinking leads us. 
And so here's what I want to do. I want to take a couple moments for us to look at this downward spiral that Paul points to if we choose to live in the futility of our minds. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now that first word that he uses there with description is the word callous. And the truth is, every one of us kind of battles this. And this, you know, if you have a callus on your hands, it's, a, it's going to be a place that is kind of a, a thickness of skin, and it's not as sensitive as it once was. It, 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 it's lost its sensibility, if you would, its sensitivity, if you would. And so uh, it, it, it responds differently than other parts of your skin. But the same is true for our souls. Our souls can become callous. Our minds can become calloused. And what that really means is we begin to experience, this is kind of the first step into this, this journey down in this downward spiral, is numbness. That's what that word callous does is it creates a, a, a numbness in us. When you're apart from God, when you're trying to live your life apart from God and you're living in your darkened uh, understanding, there's just kind of this numbness, this, you know, we're looking for satisfaction, we're looking for pleasure, we're looking for fulfillment, but we feel like that fulfillment is just out of our reach. You know, we pursue it, but we always, it always seems like we just fall short, that something is missing. This is this callousness, this, this numbness. And we need to ask ourselves, are we experiencing that right now? Are there places in my life where I'm experiencing this kind of numbness in my spirit, in my, in my journey, in my walk with Christ? You know, there's kind of a, a current way of asking that question. Do you live with FOMO? Anybody got that disease, FOMO? Fear of missing out? You know, a lot of us live with this fear of, you know, oh, they're, they're doing that over there. I need to, I need to go do that too. Or I'm going to miss out. Oh, no, they're doing, I need to run over here. I need to, because I don't want to miss out. And, and our lives are just kind of pushed back and forth because we're trying to find something that relieves this, this numbness. But here's what happens if we stay in that downward spiral. The next thing that we begin to see is that spiral leads to a fixation. A fixation on something. Paul described it in verse 19 as they gave themselves up to. They give themselves up to pursuing these kinds of things, this fixation on something, and that's what people do. They'll look for some kind of hobby. They'll, they'll look for something that can become the equivalent of a religion for them, and they'll get fixated on maybe sports, maybe come hunting or fishing or camping. Could be online gaming, could be online pornography. It, 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 it could even be another person. You could allow your fixation to become a child or a, a, a grandchild and you start trying to depend on them for everything you need and you try to put on them that which only God can could give to you and they can't do it. And so this fixation leads to kind of this, this next phase of, and it's indulgence. We start trying to just indulge this fixation. Paul used the word sensuality. He says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Now, oftentimes, you know, in the church, we read that word and we think, we think of sexuality. And this is so much more in the scriptures. When you see sensuality, it's talking about the way that information comes into you through your five senses. 
So this is about all of the sensations that you're having. That's the truly biblical approach to understanding this word sensuality. It comes to me through my senses. And what Paul is saying is when you get to this place of indulgence, what you're doing is you're just trying to live through experiences. And and friends, our world is there. Our culture is there. We're looking for new experiences. The church in so many ways, Christ-following people in so many ways, get caught up in this idea, I need a new experience. You know, and we pursue this sense of, I got to have this experience if life is going to be worth living. But the problem is, this new experience isn't going to, to fill. And as we pursue that, what happens is we actually become more darkened in our minds because we're pursuing something that's not, not true. And that leads to kind of this, this next thing, and it's dissatisfaction. We just start living a life of, of dissatisfaction. Paul used the word greedy. He said we become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And, and what he's talking about there is we're constantly thirsty. We're constantly hungering for, for more. I'm not getting what I need, so I, I got to have more. I, I just got to, I got to try harder. I got to get more. I, 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 I need to fill this with some kind of new activity. I need to pursue this. And this is where addictions kind of begin to erupt. And anything that you pursue that's not God this way will, will bring about destruction. It will always require more of you than it will, it will give to you. And that's why, you know, there'll come a day when looking at that computer screen won't provide the same thing it did before. You've got to have something different. Or that drug that gave you a certain kind of high won't last as long and won't be as potent. Or the adrenaline rush will eventually fade. Or the people that you have tried to fixate on will no longer meet your needs and you'll grow disappointed and disillusioned with them because you're always hungry for more. And what that does is it leads you right back into deeper numbness. It's kind of this closed loop cycle that spirals you downward more and more. And ultimately, if you stay stuck in that downward spiral, that that closed loop cycle, you'll begin to experience life filled with emptiness, just filled with this great emptiness. And God wants to draw you out of that. See, this, this doesn't only happen to unbelievers. This happens to those of us who have trusted Christ, but have not been living our lives with him, have not been allowing him to do the work that he is wanting to do and us cooperate with that work so that we can see renovation, renovation coming. And again, remember, we bring this into our relationship with Christ. And he is working to, to renovate all of our souls, to restore all of our souls. And so Paul begins this journey of pointing out some things that we need to come to see a, a, as reality. I love the way that Eugene Peterson so often paraphrases God's word. He translates it into kind of our language. And I want to go back to Ephesians 4.17 and listen to Eugene Peterson communicating uh, the words of of that, that scripture. He says, and so I insist, this is Paul speaking, and so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty headed, 
mindless crowd. Isn't that a great translation of that? It's so easy for us to go along with the empty-headed, mindless crowd that is, that is our culture. Looking for that next experience that leads us to emptiness. But Paul goes on and begins pointing us in a different direction. Look at verse 20 and 21. Paul says, but this is not the way you learn Christ. This is not the heart of the gospel message. There is a better way. There's something more beautiful. There's a better vision. And he, then he says, assuming that you've heard about him. So Paul's wanting to make sure that before we go further, I want to make sure that you've actually heard about Jesus. Because if you haven't heard about him, then this vision will never be fulfilled for you that I'm about to d display. So that's a question we must answer when we come in contact with this. If we want to see our, our minds changed, if we want to see our souls restored, do we know Jesus? Have we done like Kenny did in display today? Have we trusted Jesus? Have we chosen to follow him? Have we gone public with that? To follow him in baptism in obedience that way? Have, have, we, have we taken those steps? And the, th the next three verses are powerful and we focus on two of the three and we oftentimes miss what's right in the middle which is the glue watch this with me uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 Paul writes we need to put on the old self put excuse me did I say put on can you rewind the tape you need to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life now you can still have it. it. It belongs to your former manner of life, but you could still be wearing it. you got to put that off because it's corrupt through deceitful desires. And then verse 23 says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on, got it on right, put on the new self, create it after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's this, Great method that we have spent lots of time talking about, and we should do that, but there are three very important pieces here. We spend a lot of time talking about the putting off and the putting on, but all three of these are deeply interconnected. Now, if you go study the Greek language here, all three of these statements that Paul makes are in what's called the middle voice. And in that voice, that, that kind of tense, if you would, of the language, what's taking place is something is being done to you that you are called to participate in. So it's not you doing the work. Something else is doing the work, but you're called to be a part of it, to be a partner in it. And these three statements that Paul just made, I want us to take a moment and focus on the middle statement because it's the glue that holds the put off and put on together. It makes them possible. It's the bridge, if you would, that allows those things to happen so we can get out of the futility of our thinking. And it's this, we can be renewed in the spirit of our minds. It's the pathway. Now, do you remember this image? Stephen, can you bring that image back up? This image that we've been looking at that's kind of our soul and all of its component parts, and at the center is what the Scripture refers to as our heart, and it uses three words interchangeably, heart, our spirit, and our will. Well, this is the place where the Holy Spirit engages us, is at this heart level. 
And it's at this heart level that uh, the Holy Spirit wants to renew our minds. So he begins moving in our hearts to impact our minds, our, our, our thought life, our thinking. And so what Paul is saying here is that we need to cooperate with the Spirit in order to be transformed out of our, our futile way of thinking. We need to have our, our, our minds renewed. That word we talked about earlier about, about having our minds programmed. It's the same language that... Uh, uh, James read to, uh, out of Colossians that Paul wrote about our minds. It's the same thing that uh, Paul writes about to the church at Romans. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where, where he tells us, don't be conformed to this world. Some translations say, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing, by the reprogramming of our minds. And so there's this, this renewing, reprogramming process that God has, has planned for us and that we break out of these patterns. You know, the language that we might use today is uh, we need to break out of the mold. We don't need to conform. We don't need to fit the mold of the world. We need to break out of the mold. And that, that mold are these patterns that have developed in our lives. And it, it, it leads to the decisions we've made because it's the way it impacts our, our, our reasoning. And I want to show you real quickly, there, there are five results that will come about uh, if we will allow and will cooperate and partner with the work of the Spirit to renew our minds. There are at least five. And what Paul is doing here is Paul is painting a vision of the good news, the gospel of Jesus, the impact that Jesus wants to have, the kind of life he came when he said, I've, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Paul is going to give us a vision of a better way, and he's going to compare two things. Now, here's the tendency. The tendency when you read this is to think, oh, this is a list of do's and don'ts. This is a list of I need to stop doing this and start doing this. Friends, you can't do that on your own. The Holy Spirit is doing this, but you've got to cooperate. The Holy Spirit is at work doing these things, but you've got to cooperate. You've got to, you've got to work with the Spirit in the renewing of your mind. The first place we see this is in verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Paul writes, therefore, because those things are true, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Do you see the beautiful vision there that Paul lays out? Paul lays out the vision that God has for the church that we would see ourselves deeply interconnected. That our, we would see ourselves as our lives so intimately intertwined that what we think about is that we're members of each other. We're connected at that kind of deep level. And what Paul says has to happen for that vision to be realized is we have to have a transformation of our character. And that means we move from being counterfeit, the Spirit is moving us from being counterfeit to becoming authentic. You're becoming more of the real you, who you are. You're, you're going to quit pretending, stop faking, and start showing up for the real who you are being really present in people's lives. People get to see uh, the real you. And you allow God to bring about this change so that we can be real with each other. And friends, that's what a grace-saturated environment does. And that's supposed to be the church. We're supposed to be this grace-saturated environment where all of us come with our futile thinking and we know that uh, uh, about one another. 
But we're saying we want to see that beautiful movement, that beautiful vision fulfilled where we're deeply interconnected. Second thing that Paul points to, the area that the Spirit wants to transform and a beautiful vision, verses 26 and 27. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Now, when we get to the end of this chapter, it'll talk more about that having to play out in forgiving and, and, and caring and loving one another. But what he's talking about here is being transformed in our attitudes, having our attitudes transformed from anger to peacemaker, moving from anger to peacemaker. Paul wrote these words, be angry, do not sin, do not let a sun go down in your anger, give no opportunity. Don't, don't give Satan this opportunity to distort and, and bring us into futile thinking, bring us into that downward word spiral. There's so much more for God's people. Re- remember we talked earlier about in that spiral, the point of fixation. We get fixated on, on, on certain things. Some people get fixated on something like sports. You know, it, it's fascinating to me, and, and maybe you've noticed this too, but I've noticed that sometimes some of the biggest sport fans, sports fans, are some of the angriest people. If you don't believe me, go to a Stingrays hockey match. Or pick your sport. I, I remember uh, when I was a... I, in high school and college, I was a lifeguard and a swim instructor, and I coached a swim team. And I could not get over how angry. We had to have parents escorted, and this was back when the Marines did the, I worked at the weapons station, and the Marines were security for the base back then. I would have to call Marines to come escort parents out of the pool because they would get so angry. I mean, it was ridiculous. But th- that's the truth about us when we, we, we allow our minds to get fixated on something that was supposed to be fun, that was supposed to be life-giving, that was supposed to fill us with joy. And we get robbed of that because of the futility of our thinking. We get stuck in a fixation and we end up in that, this downward spiral. God wants to transform that. He wants to restore that brokenness out of us. A third area that... Paul points to God giving us this beautiful vision of transformation is in verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, what most of us want to do with this verse is we want to say to somebody who's on welfare, get a job. And maybe there's a way that that works out here, but that's not primarily what this verse is about because Paul is writing to every one of us here. And there's a message for every one of us in this. Somebody say, I got a job. I'm working. I give some money here and there. See, what, what Paul is talking about is that we, we, we have to have a transformed purpose, a transformed vocation, if you would, from selfishness to generosity. See, a mind that is still dark lives only for self, lives to gratify self. And what that means is we are, we've become self-centered thieves. 
living, taking the blessings that God has given us and spending it only on ourselves, thinking of our own passions and our own fulfillments only, when God gave us some of what we've got so that we would be generous with it. He's given you some of your time so that you will be generous with it. He's given you some of your talents so you'll be generous with it to others. He's given you some of your treasure so that you will be, be generous with it, not spending it all on yourself. See, we're all thieves. And, and our minds have been darkened by that pattern that we've given ourselves over, and we're slaves to it. And the Holy Spirit's wanting to transform that. And so he comes to us and he gives us this vision of what, what the kingdom of God would look like if, if God's people were generous. We'd be given to anyone in, in need. We'd, we'd be making a difference. We'd quit stealing and become generous. We'd break out of that old way of thinking, that corrupt thinking, and move from selfishness to generosity. Look at this fourth area, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Friends, what we're talking about here is God transforming our communication, our conversation from harmful to helpful. I'm going to meddle for a minute. I want you to just think for a minute about the conver kind of conversations that go on in churches. Now, I, I know I need to do a whole message here probably. I don't have time for that. But I've been amazed, I think we all have, have how good people in churches can be on different sides of issues. And instead of reasoning those out, talking those out, sharing those out, what we do is we damage each other with our words. And we attack and we accuse. And in the absence of a story, we'll fill one in, you know, with our own mental, uh, if you would, uh, narratives. You know, thinking somebody else has done this or done that. And we rush to feel hurt. You notice that in our culture? Everybody's rushing to say I'm a victim so that we can feel the, the hurt. Or the other side of that is we rush to judgment and condemnation. But we rush into those things and we create these amplified mountainous issues with our mouths or with our keyboards or our thumbs. And God's calling us away from that. He's calling his church out of that. But here's the sad reality, and I think you could speak to this. Most every one of us have been harmed in some way at church by the words of a brother or a sister. And God has a better vision. God has a, a grander vision of what community should look like. We could camp here, but we need to press on. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 and 32. Paul writes, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, friends, work with him. Don't push him away. Cooperate. The Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's sealed as a done deal. But he wants you to work with him. And he says, do this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Let those things fall away. But, and tell me if you wouldn't like to be a part of a, a community like this. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. 
just like God in Christ forgave you. How many of you would love to be in relationships where the people that you're in relationships with forgive you the way that Jesus has forgiven you? Would forgive you in such a way that they'll even, they'll even do the heavy lifting. They'll even suffer somewhat so that you can be forgiven. Man, that, that's the beautiful vision of the gospel for God's people that Paul is writing about here. And it is the only thing that will turn our minds to something greater that will allow these, the futile thinking to fall away. It's the only thing that will. It's being captured by that beautiful vision. And so Paul is calling us to be transformed in our relationships that move from discord to harmony where kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness is the, is the currency. It's what we, we live on and, and, and live in. See, this is God's vision, his, his vision for your everlasting life that starts here and now. It began when you came to Jesus. Paul says this is what God intends for his people, but we have got to deal with our futile ways of thinking. We've got to let Jesus, we've got to invite the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to restore our souls. And so real quickly, closing, and we're going to close differently today. We're not going to have a closing song. We're going to end in prayer today, okay, just so you know. I don't want to shock you too abruptly. Um, But I just want to give you four things, and these are four things that God has said to Joe for Joe. I don't know if these are going to be helpful to you, but as I've walked through this, these are some things that God has said to me. So I'm not thinking that I'm a sage on a stage right now. I'm a sojourner with you. I'm a fellow traveler in this. The Lord is still working these things out in my futile ways of thinking. This is what he said, Joe, I'm encouraging you to do, to cooperate with the Spirit in you. The first thing is this, be deliberate. Be deliberate. Be intentional about this. Focus on fixing me. Because I can so easily get busy fixing you. And I live in darkness when I do that. I I will remain in the futility of my mind when I think it's about fixing you. The Holy Spirit is at work in me to bring about change in me. I have to cooperate with the Spirit that way. It's got to be deliberate in me. Second thing it needs to be is we we need to pursue this. We need to aim higher. We need to aim higher. And that, that, that aim needs to be the beautiful picture, that vision that Paul gave us when he compares the old way of thinking to this more beautiful way of thinking. I need to be fixed. That needs to be my aim. What we need to be putting on. I don't need to spend so much time focused on the putting. I need to, my aim needs to be up here. God's word tells us to think on things above, things that are pure and lovely and filled with great motivation. Those are the things that we need to be thinking on, that beautiful vision. And we need to be blessing each other's lives when we see it happen. When you see a brother or a sister being transformed, when you see a brother or a sister moving from selfishness to generosity, please, for the sake of their growth and your growth, stop and thank them. Stop and say, I admire what you just did. It just, it brings, it lifts my soul. We need to celebrate the transforming work of God in one another's lives. That's part of aiming higher. Third thing we need to do is look deeper. There is, 
There is only so much about what's going on in us that we are consciously aware of in our own hearts and minds. There's only so much that we see. We're, we're much more complex than our conscious thoughts. We're much, we're, there's more to us than that. And a lot of our brokenness resides below what we know about ourselves and what we see about ourselves. And we need to go deeper into our own brokenness. The Lord wants to shine a light there, but we're afraid to do that. We're afraid because most of us intuitively know what we're going to see and we don't want to see it. But friends, that's where grace does its greatest work. It's right there in our brokenness. God does his greatest work of grace right there. And so we need to go deeper and become students of our own brokenness because that's where the Lord restores our souls. That's where that transformation is happening. And here's the last thing. We've got to be, we've got to move towards, I I believe this about myself. I, I think it's true of all of us. We've got to walk this out with others. We've got to walk this out with others. I can't do this alone. I can't move out of the futility of my own thinking alone. There are things, I have blind spots. Things about myself that I can't see, but guess what? Some of you do. And we need to do that for each other. We need to speak the truth in love. It, you know, it's okay to come and say, Joe, I see this struggle in your life. Don't come to say, Joe, you are such a jerk. Even if I'm being a jerk. Say, Joe, I see this struggle in your life. And I'm praying for you there. It's a blind spot, I think, brother. You know, we need to do this for one another. This is the work of the kingdom. Everybody, everybody else sees something that we're blind to. And I just want to encourage us to commit afresh, to pursue that beautiful vision of the gospel, of the kingdom, of being the kind of church, the kind of people that Paul says we can be, if we will let the Lord bring restoration to our souls and that component part of our mind, and we can put away futile thinking. But it's going to be a group effort, a community effort, And it will be an effort on our part to cooperate with the spirit of the living God. He's promised he's at work. He's promised he's doing these things to renew our minds through the spirit. We just got to let him pray with me if you would. Father, we, we come and we want to be captured by the vision of your beauty, God of the beauty of your plan for your people, of your beauty of the fulfillment of the gospel in our everlasting lives that have already begun and that are here on planet Earth and will be ultimately consummated in glory with you one day. But right now you're calling us to live those everlasting lives out in community with one another, agreeing with one another that we all have blind spots where we are still darkened in the futility of our thinking and we need you our shepherd our Lord to restore our souls to restore our broken minds to renew us reprogram us Lord will you commit afresh today right where you're at first of all 
to partner with the work that the Spirit wants to do in you in those five areas we looked at? Will you commit afresh today to celebrate the work the Spirit's doing in your brothers and sisters? Will you commit afresh today to do that? Lord, we want to live out. We want to be that place. We want to be your kingdom being lived out freshly in our city. We want to be attractive to the world. We want, we want the gospel life to permeate our lives. We want Jesus to be seen through us where we live, learn, work, and play. So fill us, Spirit. We need a fresh filling. We need to empty ourselves of ourselves so we can be filled once again afresh by you. Fill us, Spirit. And maybe if you're here today, maybe you've never trusted Christ, but you long for that kind of life, that vision for a life in a community like that. The Bible says all you got to do is call on the name of the Lord Jesus, realizing that only in his power through a relationship with him can life like that ever come. Can you have everlasting life in him? And if you put your trust in him right now, just where you're at, say, Jesus, I trust you to give me that kind of life. And I'm going to pursue it. I'm going I'm to repent of pursuing the ways of the world. I'm going to break covenant with that mold and I'm going to be in relationship with you. And the Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord that way you'll be saved. He'll give you life everlasting and begin to restore your soul. Father, we come afresh in our recommitments. We come afresh on our journey. And we come again, God, at this moment thanking you, Jesus for your grace and your mercy and your never giving up on us. Spirit, thank you that you have sealed us, that you're in us. Thank you that you'll never forsake us. We celebrate your goodness now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you. Hope you have a great week. God wants to restore your mind. And I hope to see you soon. Bye.